It is a beautiful day to be alive, and I'm so glad we have this time together. I'm Sanaa Laybourne, she, her. I'm a professor, scholar, connector, and avid reader. I've always loved learning about what's happening in our social world and sharing that knowledge, especially over a good cup of coffee. And so here we are. Each week on Let's Grab Coffee, I catch up with experts from around the world who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. Go ahead and grab your cup of coffee and get ready for an engaging and insightful conversation. Here we are at the beginning of another new year, and maybe you've set another New Year's resolution weight loss goal. Or perhaps you're already thinking forward to your summer body, or maybe it's a revenge body. These are just some of the ways we are constantly trying to shrink our bodies and conform to, let's be honest, unattainable body standards. The fitness, wellness, and health industry market size is over $30 billion. Yes, that's billion with a B. So you can imagine that the messaging about what bodies should look like and why ours isn't quite right are everywhere. But have you ever wondered, what is the root of these unattainable body goals? And how can we combat against them? Not just for our own personal well-being, but as a component of collective liberation. And what does that even mean? And you know, one more question that I've been thinking about is, what could we be doing with all that energy we've been spending on trying to conform, contort, and shrink our bodies? In The Body Liberation Project, how understanding racism and diet culture helps cultivate joy and build collective freedom, author Chrissy King answers these questions and more. Chrissy King is a writer, speaker, strength coach, and educator with a passion for creating a diverse and inclusive wellness industry. She empowers individuals to stop shrinking, start taking up space, and use their energy to create their specific magic in the world. She has been featured in Self, Shape, Health, Cosmopolitan, BuzzFeed, Muscle and Fitness, and Live Strong, among others. With degrees in social justice and sociology from Marquette University, University, Chrissy merges her passion for social justice with her passion for fitness to empower individuals within the fitness and wellness industry to create spaces that allow individuals from all backgrounds to feel seen, welcomed, respected, and celebrated. Today, we're talking about her book, The Body Liberation Project, how understanding racism and diet culture helps cultivate joy and build collective freedom. Good morning, Chrissy. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes. Look, I am absolutely like too hype. Um, I cannot <laughs> even explain. Um, once I saw your title, I was like, I have got to have this woman on the show. I know that there is something really amazing in these pages. And there is when I tell you, I was talking back to your book like we were in a conversation. Like I had <laughs> notes scribbled all in the margins. Oh my goodness, I absolutely love your book. Thank you. I love to hear that. And you know, when I wrote it, I really wanted people to feel like, yeah, they were in a conversation with me. And I wanted to, we're talking about a lot of topics that can be hard and uncomfortable, but I also wanted to make it accessible and lighten it up with a little bit of humor. And so it makes me really happy to hear you say that. Yes, and you did exactly that. Because like you said, it is there are some heavy topics in here. There may be some uncomfortable topics for folks and even some ideas that people aren't familiar with. Um, but you do it in such a way where it does feel like, oh, I'm chatting with a girlfriend who is giving me like, 
all the tea, but also all the truth. And when I say I laughed and I cried when reading your book, I mean, it just, it took me everywhere and I absolutely loved it. But I want to start by reading um, a short passage from the book. Um, it's towards the end on page 276. And I had written already like, yes, 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 everything, you know, like everything right here. Um, but you say this, you say body liberation set me free. When I found body liberation, I also liberated myself from thinking that I was never enough. I finally realized that not only was I enough, but I had always been more than enough. I finally realized that I had a very specific magic to share with the world and it had nothing to do with what I looked like. And it's not only for my own benefit. Um, and then later you say, ultimately, the goal is that we take the newfound energy, the energy that we had previously been spending obsessing about our bodies, and we dismantle white supremacy and systems of oppression. And who I have chills right now reading that. Um, and I thought that was the perfect way for us to start this conversation today because the book, of course, is about body liberation. Um, but a big piece of that is understanding how white supremacy and other systems of oppression are really converging upon our bodies and how we think about ourselves and, and fill up space in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that passage too. And also, I it's funny because I wrote it, but then hearing you <laughs> read it, I got goosebumps too. I was like, oh, wow. Um, you know, I think all of us, right, regardless of identity, um, a lot of us, I should say most of us, I would dare say, are struggling with body image issues and struggling with like loving and appreciating our bodies, especially in a society where Eurocentric standards of beauty are the standard. And a lot of us don't feel like we fit into those standards of beauty. But even for those of us who are more, more like closely aligned to that standard, we're still struggling, right? And so it's like, why are all of us having such a hard time with this? And when we think about really the inception of fat phobia and um, diet culture, right, which is that diet culture is really a system that worships thinness as the ideal. It, de it, it uh, attributes like moral value to living in a thinner body. Um, it demonizes certain types of food and it restricts us from, you know, enjoying life in a lot of ways. So we talk about like, how did we get to this place to begin with? And really white supremacy is the reason that we all got here. And Dr. Sabrina Strings has an amazing book called Fearing the Black Body. And she covers this in such great detail, but she talks about the fact that this idea that thin bodies are ideal and that this, we should all be striving for that it goes back to slavery. Mm -hmm. And because if we think back into other times in history, there, especially if you look, look, look at art from the past, right? And we see these larger bodies memorialized and they're mm -hmm. like looked upon as beautiful. And so there was a time in history where being in a larger body was considered beautiful. It was a sign of prosperity and wealth. It meant that you had an abundance of food, right? Those were good things. Mm -hmm. And then we come to this point in history and all of a sudden we're like, no, big bodies are bad bodies, right? And that goes back to slavery. And so when we're thinking about enslaving, you know, African people and this desire to justify really your actions and create this racial hierarchy of which bodies are more deserving or better worthy of respect. And so we think about enslaved people. A lot of times we're in larger bodies, more muscular from working in the fields and doing manual labor. And so that's where this idea that being in a larger body was associated with gluttony, with laziness, with lack of motivation, with stupidity even. Um, it was started there as a way to justify it. And so from that point in history, anyone who wasn't, you know, an enslaved person, a black person living in a black body wanted to be opposite of what those bodies looked like. And that's where this desire for thinness and also the, this idea that thinness 
happiness has much moral and virtue attached to it derived from and we have just not deviated from that since then Mm -hmm. And it's so enmeshed in our culture that for folks listening already, it might be like, wait a minute, what? But that's how much it's embedded. These ideas about bodies, but also about race and racism are embedded throughout even how we're thinking about, you know, what we eat or how we control our bodies. And we would call it, oh, it's just health and fitness. But there is a root behind it. And thank you so much for sharing that, because that's really what your book starts to unpack is making these connections and helping us challenge what we think of as the right, quote unquote, right bodies or the right bodies that we should have. Absolutely. And I think you're you're so right. Like it's so embedded in our culture and it's so normalized in our culture that we automatically associate like being in a thinner body with being healthy, right? Or the desire for weight loss means that we are trying to be healthy and we don't like without understanding like how we got to this place in the first place, it's hard for us to start to like dismantle ourselves from diet culture and understand again that so many of these nar- these narratives are so harmful for us, but also it's like keep- keeping us in the cycle of like yo-yo dieting, but even more than that, like just obsessing about our bodies and working and spending all of our en- energy like trying to shrink ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I like about in the book is you talk about um how fat phobia is really also part of our culture and assigning that a moral value to thin bodies. And um, in in a part in the book, you talk about some of the consequences of these anti-fat biases that we have. So even loss of income due to discrimination, medical bias, even clothing bias, and of course the emotional and psychological distress of of being exposed to all this messaging. Um, And so I think, that's also a key for folks to understand. It's not just, you know, something like preference or opinion, but there are tangible material consequences to this line of thinking that again, we're all exposed to. Absolutely. Like 100%. Like it's not just anecdotal, right? It's not just like, oh, people don't find me as attractive. Like there's actual consequences for it. And this is why it's also so important that that, like individually, but then culturally and systemically, we divest from this thinking and um, divest from white supremacy is because it's so harmful in so many ways. And I think when we're also thinking about like an individual level, when you're like trying to come to this place of like love and acceptance and appreciation for the body you reside in, but then also recognizing that you live in a society in which there is, there is actual repercussions for the body that you live in. Mm -hmm. It makes that really hard to say, I'm going to divest from this. And also I'm going to deal with the realities of living in a body that is discriminated against. And I think when we're thinking about how white supremacy is harmful to all of us, like weight bias, anti-fat bias, fat phobia is another way in which white supremacy is harming a lot of us. And one of the things I also talk about in the book is that for people with multiple intersecting identities, so if you're, you know, are black or brown and you're, li- and you're living in a fat body and perhaps, you know, you're non-binary or trans, there's all these like layers of discrimination that you're experiencing and it makes the experience that you're having in the world, but also the layers of discrimination so much more harmful and um, impactful in your, in your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's something else that I really appreciated about your book is you did talk about the personal, right? Because we are having these personal experiences in our personal bodies, but you continue to make those explicit connections to society and have these broader social problems, which as a sociologist, I really appreciated uh, because sometimes we get stuck on the individual level or we get stuck kind of in the, in the broader social problems level, but you do an 
excellent job of, of incorporating both and showing solutions and strategies at both levels. And then the other thing I loved about your book, the correct usage of intersectionality. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I have a background in sociology too. Um, so maybe that's probably some of that shining through. But, you know, I think it's so important that we're looking at all of these things and really understanding these things. Because when we talk about liberation personally and then collectively, like we have to talk about the realities of the experiences that we're all having. And also why when we are focusing our energy and intention on um, the most marginalized among us, it sets us all free. And so it's like that's the work that we have to focus on. And, and I do intentionally talk about the individual level and the collective level because both of them are very important but there is no liberation unless all of us are free and so like mm -hmm. at the end of the day we need that collective liberation yes and I, I love how you continue to to keep us focused on that point throughout the book and you know Con again, continually, as I was reading, I was putting notes and I was like, "Ooh, Chrissy came for everybody. She is not <laughs> letting up like you do not let any of us off the hook. But I think it's so important when we are talking about systemic oppression, we are talking about uh, matrix of domination. You know, I read Pat Hill Collins into, you know, into your words and then also thinking about, OK, what do we have to do like the actions that we have to take um, in order to work towards this collective liberation. And another um, point that you bring up throughout the book is that there is a cost, right? Just like there is a cost yeah. to being complicit to these systems, there is a cost to dismantling them. And it goes far beyond just the education or the awareness. It's like, okay, well, what are you tangibly going to do and also give up depending upon, you know, your own racial and ethnic identity, right? And your, your own positionality in society, what are you going to give up to help us actually move towards collective liberation? Yes. And that's so, so important. You know, I talk a lot about in the book, you know, this like uh, pseudo racial awakening. And that's a term that um, one of my friends coined, but after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, so many people uh, waking up, I would say to the realities of racism that for folks of color, you know, that we are like that, yes, we've been saying this for a very long time. Um, and so I think there was like this resurgence of anti-racism. Um, and in that moment, I think a lot of people wanted to be on the right side of history, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, I'm going to take the courses, I'm going to put up the black square, I'm going to donate to the causes. And like, cool, that's like a wonderful, I mean, the black square, I didn't really find that helpful. But you know, Signing up for a course, reading a book, great place to start, right? But when it really comes down to it, it's like we've been in this place in history before, right? This is not the first time that mm -hmm. people have woken up to the realities of racism. But the, what it really comes down to is it's not just reading the books and doing the courses. It's like, okay, what am I really going to do actionably? And, and that means, yes, sometimes you're going to have to give up opportunities. You're going to have to cut ties with organizations. You're going to have to lose money. Like, you're going to have to do those things sometimes, again, depending on your racial identity, some of us will inevitably have to give up more than others, especially if you're a member, a member of the dominant group, you're white folks, like you have to actually give up things. And when you are used to being in a position of privilege, giving something up feels like you're being oppressed when mm. actually that's what a, move, a step towards what equity and equality look like. And that's where people like, that's where it stops sometimes, because when you recognize it's easy to say, I'm going to be anti-racist. But to do and live an anti-racist life requires something from us. 
And unfortunately, that's where a lot of people, that's where it stops for a lot of people because they're not willing to actually give up things. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, like I said, y'all, Chrissy doesn't let any of us off the hook. She got her foot on our necks the entire time. But I think it's so important if we are serious about collective freedom, right? Like, again, we have to take the actions towards that. And what I really love about your book is that you give us strategies to do that, um, sometimes directly, sometimes kind of indirectly and sharing some of your own experiences, but also throughout the book at the end of each chapter, you have um, reflection prompts. Um, from principle to practice to one helps to start to think through, okay, what does it look like um, as I'm thinking through my own relationship to my body, but also now what does it look like when I think about, okay, society, right? And again, like dismantling these broader systems of oppression. And so, um, you know, I love reading the book and I was like, oh, I need a notebook so I can really take (laughs) some time, you know, to answer and reflect on these questions. I found it a book that you could, of course, like read it very quickly because it is written in that conversational tone, but also a book that you can take your time with and even say, I'm going to read just like a chapter a week or every couple of days so I can really sit with some of these really big concepts that maybe for some folks, it's like, oh, this is the first time I'm thinking through some of these things. Absolutely. And I think um, when I like my sister was the first person, one of the first people that read the book before it came out. And she's like, I read through it all like very quickly. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read and I'm going to go through the journal prompts. And so I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. She was like, it was just like very engaging. I wanted to keep reading. I didn't want to stop and do the questions. So, I mean, I think the book, the book can be read either way or do a quick read and then go back. But I do hope that people really go back and spend some time with the questions. Um, Because again, I put the questions there uh, Layla Saad wrote an amazing book called Me and White Supremacy. And one of the things I loved about her book is that I love the reflection prompts at the end of each chapter because I felt like it really forced you to sit with the information and really mm-hmm. think about how is like how does this apply to me personally and to really sit with the information. And so for this book, I was like, I definitely wanted to pull that in. And I also want this to be a book that people, yeah, really use as like a workbook to think about how they can practically apply these things to their lives so it's just not a book that you read once and never think about again my hope is that people read this book take from it and that they implement these things and practices into their lives going forward Oh, yeah, I definitely see that happening. And for me, just as I was reading the book, I was already thinking about like, ooh, which one of my girlfriends would really benefit (laughs) and enjoy reading this? Because it's also that type of book where you want to be able to have the conversations with other folks in your life. And sometimes the, the way to open that door is to gift them a book, right? Versus like, hey, trying to explain. (laughs) some of this to somebody, but rather give them the book so they can also have that experience and sit with it. Um, So I love what you've done in these pages. Thank you. And I also think what you said is so important too, because I think that when we're talking about body image and all of these things that are very personal, you know, it can be very vulnerable, but at the same time, it's a very shared human experience that so many of us are having. Um, And so I think it's also part of like healing our relationship with body image is really like having these discussions. Um, Like one of the unexpected things for me when I was writing the book was like how personally healing it also felt writing it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, like I didn't expect that part either. And so I just think having community to have these conversations with and to really share our experiences with is just so healing and powerful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. 
I'm Sanaa, and this is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This morning, I'm joined by Chrissy King, author of The Body Liberation Project, How Understanding Racism and Diet Culture Helps Cultivate Joy and Build Collective Freedom. Now, Chrissy, um, you talk a lot, of course, the, the key here is around body liberation, but for some folks, this might be a new term. It was for me, um, but you break down body acceptance, which people might have heard of before, and even body positivity, which might be, which definitely was familiar to me. Um, but I'm wondering for our listeners, if you could kind of talk about those three different terms and what body liberation offers us as we think about this collective freedom that we're working towards. Absolutely. So body positivity, I think, is the term that most people are most familiar with. And I know for me, when I initially started working on my relationship with body image, that was definitely the space that I, I gravitated towards. And so body positivity is really, I think we have to first say that it was a movement created by fat black and brown women to see to celebrate themselves because they as beautiful, because they didn't see that in mainstream society. So that's where the movement actually started. And it definitely had a focus on uh, social justice. Mainstream body positivity has kind of like lost some of that original essence, but mainstream body positivity really is a focus on like loving and appreciating and respecting all bodies, that all bodies are valuable, and worthy of respect and deserving of respect. Um, and so for me, you know, body positivity, there's also a hyper focus on like self-love, which I think is very important. I go into a lot of detail in the book why I think we should work towards loving ourselves. But I also see the limitations of that because even though we can love ourselves unapologetically and wholeheartedly, that does not prevent us from experiencing harm in the world. So I think that body positivity is a great place to start the conversation, but I think we have to move the conversation a little bit farther than that. Mm -hmm. um, and then body neutrality is really this idea of, and, and a lot of times with body positivity too, you'll see like people repeating affirmations in the mirror or repeating affirmations. I love myself. I love my body. And all of that. And for me, like when you are really in the depths of, of like despair and, and like, you know, having a horrible relationship with body image, like it doesn't, the words don't really matter if you're feeling horrible about yourself. And so mm -hmm. I think it can, it leads a little bit, um, it leads us to believe that it's easier than it is sometimes, I think. So then moving to body neutrality, body neutrality doesn't necessarily say I can look in the mirror and I love everything about myself, but it does say, I recognize that this is the body I exist in and it's worthy of respect regardless of what it looks like. Also, you know, so maybe like you don't say that you love yourself, but you can maybe not make disparaging comments about your mm -hmm. body or disparaging comments about yourself. So it's more of a place of like, I'm in, I'm acceptance of this is what my physical body looks like. Um, sometimes there's also a focus on like, let's focus on what our body can do instead of what it looks like, which can be helpful for some, but also can lean into like ableism in some ways because all of our bodies don't have the same capabilities. Um, so that's body neutrality. And then body liberation is what I talk about. And when I talk about body liberation, I use the word liberation because liberation means freedom. And when I think about what we want, we really want the freedom to exist in our bodies free of harm, but also freedom to exist in our bodies and feel at peace in them. Mm -hmm. And so body liberation for me is not about looking in the mirror and loving everything you see, because I, I think that's unrealistic, if I'm being honest. But it's about understanding that at our essence and our core, this body is just a vessel that's allowing us to have this human experience. It's not who we are, right? And it's also about understanding that we are inherently worthy because we exist and it has, and our worthiness is not about based on what we look like. And then it's also about understanding, right, the systems that would have us at war with ourselves. And so how can we divest from those systems while learning, leaning into joy and appreciation and, and embodying the, the bodies, the vessels that we live in? 
and then understanding that, you know, bodies were created to change and mm -hmm. they are going to have a million different iterations from the time we were born to the time we live, leave this physical plane. And that the, the magic is learning to love and appreciate all of those different iterations because they will happen no matter how much we try to control the change. Change is inevitable and our bodies are doing what they're supposed to do, which is change. Mm -hmm. Those are powerful words because I think we spend a lot of our lives um, being kind of in an unhealthy relationship with our bodies, a controlling relationship with our bodies, trying to force our bodies into another form. And we get a lot of praise for that, right? So it can also be a bit addictive to be able to contort and conform and constrict our bodies because people are commenting on our bodies all the time. Um, all the time. And so even when you write, you know, you deserve pleasure and joy now in your current body, I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I can think about, um, you know, times throughout my life, even starting in, in kind of childhood or adolescence, where I too was also, you know, writing down a food journal, right? And you talk about that um, in the book as well. And so also, that's why I'm like writing in the in the margins, like, <laughs> oh, my goodness, me too, like trying to, yeah. you know, control my body as a way to kind of control something in my life, but also because being very hyper visible. So it felt like there were always so many comments on my body. Um, um, and I just think about like, wow, what would life have been like if I would have been able to have a more peaceful and loving relationship with my body, you know, versus really just coming into that in the last handful of years? You just said so many things that are so important. Like you just touched on so many really important things. Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is I went on my first major diet when I was in high school. I was probably 16 or 17 and I went on a diet major diet because a peer had like made a joke in front of classmates about the fact that I gained weight. And so I went bought a book at the library or at the bookstore. It is the Atkins diet. I followed it religiously. <laughs> I was it's the original keto. I followed it like hardcore <laughs> and lost probably like 30 pounds. And all of my peers at school, the way that they reacted to me was just what you said, right? Oh my gosh, you look so great. How did you do it? And so I was like, oh, people are going to like me better, right? I'm going to get more praise and adoration when I'm in a smaller body. And so for the next decade, right, that's what I was always spending my energy on. So that's one thing. And then you talked about something that was so important too, is like, you said it felt like that was a th your body was a thing you could control, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I talk about in the book is that fat loss for a lot of us, although we don't never, right, maybe don't recognize it, it's the low hanging fruit when our lives feels out of control lives feel out of control yeah. it's like I can't address those other things I can't deal with those things but this is one thing that I know I can control I can control my body and so also I talk about that when I moved towards liberation then it and I like stopped focusing my body as a thing that was going to fix and make me feel in control it really forced me to deal with the other areas of my life that were really the things I needed to deal with anyways right, right? But our body does feel like the thing that we can control. Um, and then the last thing that you said that was so important is that, you know, when you exist in the body or in a space or environment in which you are hyper, like, visible. And so I talk about being 5'8 in the third grade, being the only Black person in my, or the only Black girl in my class, and feeling, like, different already. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'm already different. So what's one way I can try to conform? And I can try to do that through my body. And that's also, like, access and, pro and proximity to, like, privilege, right? And and access and proximity to whiteness when I felt really out of place in those environments. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that resonated with me so much as an Asian American woman, um, you know, growing up here in Memphis, um, I didn't really see anybody who looked like me, but everybody definitely saw me right as this Asian young girl, (laughs) lots of comments all the time. So I was, you know, keenly aware that I didn't fit in physically, but there were ways that, right, I could try to control my body. So at least I felt like I was, you know, making that effort to, to fit in and honestly to not be seen right so wanting to be invisible in some way so as to not constantly be scrutinized and I think for a lot of us we do that in different ways whether it is simply just trying to get smaller as you talk about um and it is very much I like that you you know again bring us back to this point in this book there are privileges associated within this again very real material not just psychological um benefits to being thin in a world that has demonized right like different size bodies absolutely and I think it's so important to recognize that that there are actual privileges to being in a thinner body you get treated differently depending on your the way that you look and the way that you present and the size of your body and so I think it's so important that we are really honest about that because I think you know it's when we're having these really nuanced conversations about breaking up with diet culture and like how it's rooted in white supremacy And of course, I want us to all divest from those things. But I think there's also so much space for us to have true compassion for ourselves when we feel ourselves being called to fat loss or to weight loss. Because again, especially for those with multiple intersecting identities, that might feel like the one way that makes living in the world and existing in the world easier. Or that Mm -hmm. feels like one less thing that you have to be struggling with. And so I think that we can't have that conversation without talking about the realities of that. And that even you can recognize something as a system is harmful and still say that this feels the most safe for me at this mm-hmm. point in my life. And, and I think that that is a, a real reality and that we need, you know, no matter where you are in your journey, we have days where we're like, I'm done with diet culture. And you have days where you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe this would be so much better if I just lost a few pounds. I think the thing that we always have to come back and meet ourselves with is self-compassion because it's all really hard. And we're living in the society in which there are Eurocentric standards of beauty. There are benefits to living in a thinner body. And so when we feel ourselves feeling shame, perhaps about wanting to lose weight or feeling like, why do I keep feeling called back to this? I think the thing that we meet ourselves with is self-compassion because we are all doing the very best we can in a midst of situations that are really challenging. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That self-compassion is so key. We are balancing so much, right? And there's so many mm-hmm. different messages all the time. And sometimes it does just feel easier. Like if I could just lose the five pounds or whatever, like maybe this is what will help me have a little bit of, of peace or, or safety yeah. or, or feeling of belonging in this world. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of your journey into body liberation um, and how that kind of started for you. This is like a perfect place to start to have this conversation based on what we were just talking about. Because um, so for me, I spent, yeah, like over probably a decade dieting, yo-yo dieting, and then eventually got into like strength training and exercising and powerlifting eventually. Um, and I was got to a point where I had like that physical quote unquote transformation and I was in the thinnest body I'd ever been in as an adult. I was the strongest I'd ever been. And I was in a body that very much I was praised and affirmed for the way I looked constantly. 
And so you would think that I would be like, wow, I'm so happy I did it. I've arrived. But the reality is I was more miserable than I was ever. And it was like I had done all the things I said I was going to do, but I always need to lose five more pounds. And, and then it'd be five more pounds. And then I need to change this part of my body. And then I need to fix this. And I, it was like never ending. It was never ending. And I, I felt like, honestly, I felt like I was like trapped in this cycle. And so it's like, no matter how much I could go into the store and buy all these clothes that I felt like looked great on me and people commented on how great I looked, I was miserable. And so mm -hmm. what really led me to moving towards liberation is I had this, I call my rock bottom moment and I was uh, married at the time. And I was, my worst nightmare at that time was having to like go out with friends, having to go on a vacation. And it was my worst nightmare because that meant I could not like control everything that I ate. Mm -hmm. And so I had this weekend getaway with my in-laws and his extended family at the time. And I, first off, it was like at a water park and I was like, great, now I'm gonna have to wear a swimsuit, which again is so ironic because I was in, literally, I remember being at the, at the water park in my swimsuit and like people came up to me to like compliment me on how great I looked. Mm -hmm. But the whole time I'm like thinking I look too big in my swimsuit and I'm trying to set my stomach in more. Mm -hmm. And I look back at those pictures and I'm like, I was so tiny and like, I just couldn't see it though right yeah so anyways I in order to try to like control myself as much as possible I packed as many of my meals as I could for the weekend brought them in a cooler and so uh -huh. we had to stay at the water I know it's <laughs> so sad so we had to stay at the water park we were taking like a lunch break and my my little sad meal had been in the Tupperware container in the cooler all day so we get to the restaurant I stay in the car because I'm going to eat my meal and my ex my husband's at the time, ex-husband's now, extended family was like, why isn't she coming in? Like, what's going on? And he was so supportive. He's like, oh, she's brought her own food because she wants to be healthy. And they were so gracious. They asked the restaurant. They told the restaurant that I had like eating restrictions. And the restaurant was like, happy to have me bring my food in. So mm -hmm. I did. And like, it was like a little sad wrap. Like, I, it didn't take me very long to finish it is what I'm saying. And then I was sitting at the table and everyone's ordering like all the food, whatever they want. The food smells so good. And I'm just looking around at everyone. They're just like enjoying eating, like just a normal <laughs> thing, right? And I was like, wow, this is so, I am so miserable right now. Like I, I feel miserable. I can't enjoy this experience. I can't eat food without being obsessed about it. And everyone is just eating. Like it's a normal thing. And no one's looking <laughs> And in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life like this if I don't change something. And mm. I don't want to spend the rest of my life like this. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You talk about in the book about how diet culture has really robbed us of the enjoyment yeah. of food. And, and you know, food is community. Food is connection. Yeah. Food is our culture. And yet here we are, you know, trying to attain these unattainable, unrealistic body standards and robbing ourselves of connection, you know, not just the foods that we eat that we love and enjoy, but really those moments of like, we're sharing a meal. Right? Yes. Yeah. And those moments are so important. And I say, you know, being on the other side of that, I, one of the things I talk about now is like, you know, at the end of our lives and we have taken our last breath or we're at, you know, at our funerals, no one is going to be thinking about like, remember that summer in 2000 when Chrissy had those six pack abs? She just looked so good. Like no one is going to be thinking about that, right? They're going to be thinking about the experiences we had, the meals we shared, the memories we created. Like those are the things that actually matter. And at the end of our lives, like let's have, like I want us to have the freedom to create as many of those experiences without shame, without guilt, and just the ability to be fully present because that's what living life actually means. 
means, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You write in the book, I was missing out on life and all its beauty because I was trapped in a cycle of body shame and preoccupation. And you give some other examples of some moments like that. Um, But that really hit me too, because I was thinking about, you know, moments in my life where it's like, oh, do I look, is is this outfit? You know, same thing, like, right, that you're saying, like, just preoccupied with how you look, you know, what your clothes look like. Are people looking at your body? And it's like, no one is even paying attention. (laughs) Right, right. And it's so true. It's like people aren't paying attention. And for the few people who might be paying attention and commenting, they aren't the people that we want in our lives anyways. And and I don't mean that flippantly, like, because we all have family members who will comment on our bodies. So like, those are real realities. But I think like, even in those times, reminding ourselves and grounding ourselves in what we know to be true, and recognizing that folks around us are on their own journeys as well, right? And they're mm-hmm. still very much in the culture that we have all been inundated in. And so it's like, how can we create boundaries, which I talk about in the book, about I don't want to talk about my body thank you for your comment Mm -hmm. but not up for discussion because at the end of the day those things aren't the things that matter and again that's this body is just I keep going back to this body is just the thing that's allowing us to have this human experience and I truly believe that every one of us has like very specific magic to add to the world and it doesn't have anything to do with what we look like yeah that is so important and I love that you keep reminding of us of that point throughout the book like yes we experience the world through our bodies and and the the world is you know commenting on us and treating us uh, 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 treating us and reacting to us based on the bodies and the and the value we placed on bodies as a society but we are not our bodies right we are so much more than that and i love that you keep us focused on that because it's hard to kind of think of ourselves as separate from our bodies right there's so much again as i said in the intro the health and fitness industry 30 billion dollars right so there we are bombarded by messaging about our bodies and and that our worth is linked into our bodies. Um, So I love those consistent reminders throughout the book that like, yes, you know, our bodies are doing things in the world, but that's not who we, at our essence, who we are. So I really appreciate that. Um, Let's take another break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sanaa, and this morning I'm here with Chrissy King, author of The Body Liberation Project, How Understanding Racism and Diet Culture Helps Cultivate Joy and Build Collective Freedom. Now, Chrissy, one question that you ask in the book, and it's not even part of one of the, um, from principle, um, and to practice reflection prompts, but it's right there in the middle of the chapter. And I was like, oh, okay, she's coming for us every which way. Um, and you ask, from where are you deriving your worth? And wow, I thought that was such a powerful question to start to think about, okay, where do I place my own value? Where am I getting, you know, my ideas of my own worth? And, you know, helping us think through, obviously your book is talking about body liberation and helping us think through and really question like how much is my identity, my value, my worthiness tied up to my physical body? I think it's such an important question to ask. And I, because it was an important question for me to ask myself, right? So when I realized, you know, like, oh gosh, I'm miserable and I'm spending all of my time and all of my energy worried about, I was spending 18 hours a week in the gym. Like Mm. I was spending a lot of time exercising. 
I was spending a lot of time meal prepping. I was spending a lot of time counting all of my calories. And I was like, I'm doing all of this because I want to keep my body small or I want to keep my body looking a particular way because I think that's what makes me valuable in the world. And when I decided that I was miserable and I had to change, I was like, okay, well, that also felt like a little bit of an existential crisis because, well, if I'm not going to base my time and energy focusing on what I look like, what is the thing that makes me worthy in this world? What is the Mm -hmm. thing that makes me, uh, where am I like, yeah, where am I getting my worthiness from? And what am I like, who am I really, if I'm not focusing on what I look like? And so that's the questions I had to start asking myself and, and really thinking about, and really like, as I pondered that question over time, and, and even into like where it's led me to the work I'm doing now, so much of what I think is that this body literally is the thing that's allowing me to carry out my soul's purpose. And I think Mm -hmm. that all of us have a different purpose and we decide for that, for ourselves, what that is. But I know that my purpose wasn't wound up in like what I look like and I think, again, when we start to think about what our worthiness, that where we're der- deriving our worthiness from and start thinking about like bigger picture things, um, it really, you know, and moving towards body liberation, it really frees up a lot of mental capacity and a lot of mental energy and a lot of mental space to start thinking about what is it that I want to be doing with my time? And it doesn't have like just maybe that's just like I'm free to just exist and just be myself and like that's a beautiful thing um I think for me it freed up so much mental energy that's really led me to where I am today now but I think for all of us when we start to really think about our worthiness and especially living in the society in which like there's hyper focus on looks especially for women and women's bodies but also a hyper focus on productivity and like capitalism we start Mm -hmm. to think about you know it's like it's almost a jarring question to sit back and think about, right? Because so much of so many of us, myself included, have wrapped up our worth in all of these other things. Yes, it made me think about as I was reading your book and and this question. It made me think about, um, you know, what Toni Morrison said, right? The function, the very serious function of racism is distraction, and that was reson. It just was resonating with me as. I was reading, right? Um, Because she says it keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being, um, right? Always trying to convince people that you're worthy, that you have a right to be here. And our, you know, relationship with diet culture and our internalization um, of all of these ideas about bodies really is doing that because think about all the time, as you just mentioned, all the time and energy we're spending on trying to control our bodies, what we eat, um, our physical activity, when we could be, you know, working towards liberation, um, fulfilling our soul's purpose. And you talk too, though, about the realities of what it looks like to, to go on this journey of body liberation and to break up with diet culture. And I love that you talked about like the grief that actually comes along with starting to divest from some of these ideas that are, again, just permeated throughout our culture. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of that grief process. Yeah, absolutely. I love it you that you read that Toni Morrison quote, um, because it's so true. Like, the parallels are so evident, right? And diet culture, white supremacy um, are so, I mean, diet culture in itself is such a tool of white supremacy and the patriarchy, because again, it keeps us so distracted that we can't even go in the work, into the world and do our work, right? And one of the things I say at the end of the book is like, what would it look like to have millions of liberated folks moving around the world? Because like, what could we really be working yeah. to create? And what could we, we could be dismantling white supremacy, right? Um, but the grief piece that you asked about, I think is so important because 
I, I talk about breaking up with diet culture, like the stages of breakups and the stage of like, and grief is a part of anything that we're breaking up with. And it's like, even though you know something was harmful for you, for, for you, you can still miss it. Mm-hmm. And I think grief is really, especially when it pertains to our bodies, because inevitably for most of us, breaking up with diet culture will at some point mean that our bodies are going to change. Yeah. And there is nothing like iPhone memory popping up to show you yourself <laughs> five years ago, right? Yeah. It's like I'm on the couch on a Friday night in my like ratty sweatpants and like just deleted hinge for the twelfth time. And then like a picture <laughs> pops up, right? Of when I was on a thinner body and I was like with my partner. And then you start thinking, like, oh, you know what? I was everything was so much better back then. Mm. And I really miss that version of myself. And maybe I want to go back to that version of myself. And I think that's so important that we hold space for those feelings. Because we are grieving previous versions of ourselves. We are also grieving the loss of privileges that we perhaps had when we were in that body. And so it's such an important it's so important for us to hold space for all of that and to understand that also when we feel that grief, that is part of the healing process um, and that is completely normal. And that, of course, we can look at that picture. And like when I'm looking at those pictures, I always remind myself, okay, but remember how miserable you actually were. Mm. Remember like the things you had to do to stay in that body. Like, don't forget that part of it. And also it's okay to feel like, oh, I'm grieving that. And also like grieving you know, it's not even like a big deal, but then also it is like, you know, I remember one of the things that when I was, my body was changing is I had to buy more clothes in a bigger sizes. And it wasn't even that I had to buy bigger sizes. It was like, oh, I missed, I liked those, some of those clothes that I had, right? Like I <laughs> yeah. actually enjoyed those clothes. And so it's like also letting go and grieving the loss of all of those things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was so important that you included that grieving process because again, you know, just because we know something is harmful doesn't mean there isn't some grief in, in letting go of an old version of ourselves, letting go of a way we thought about the world and what we thought we knew about the world and our place in it. So that is that letting go process as we start to become, you know, into this next version of ourselves and into this next mindset. And what I also really liked was, of course, you know, we're talking, you know, as women and thinking about romance and how much our bodies are factored into how people are evaluating us. And, and I really appreciated that you talked about the romance part of it and like coming into your body and, and what that looked like in, you know, entering this wild, wild world of dating. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, I think it's so important because I, you know, um, I share in the book that I got married pretty young. I was 22 and I got married. We got separated and eventually divorced when I was 33. And so, and I was with my partner from the time we were 19 and we also went to high school together. So, you know, like I spent all of my adult life essentially with this one human being and he was wonderful and he was lovely. And what I will say that was like, so also amazing and wonderful about him is that like my body changed, like all, you know, I was doing the diets, I'd be up and wait, I'd be down and wait, I'd be all these things. And like, never once did he make me feel anything about my body. He was just like, okay, this is the way you look today. Awesome. You're beautiful all the time. And like, I so loved and appreciated that. However, when you go into the dating world and you didn't date much at all, really, and now you're dating people again, (laughs) you're like, wow, this is scary. I'm also heterosexual. So I date men and I'm like, wow, that's really scary. And it's like, (laughs) 
again, it's like this thing, like you've come to this place where you love and appreciate and accept your body, but we still live in a world in which that's not the case for everyone. And so dating can feel really scary, can feel really intimidating. And I think one of the lies of diet culture for a lot of us is like, oh yeah, like everything I desire is on the other side of fat loss. So like if I was in a smaller body, I'd have a partner in my dreams. I'd have the job of my dreams. I have all these things. And so then dating can feel really scary and that was one thing that like unexpected for me is like that it definitely triggered my body image issues a little bit in ways that I wasn't expecting and I was like oh okay I wasn't I wasn't I didn't know that was going to happen and I think I share in the in the book a story like a negative experience that I had with someone I was dating um in which he referred to me very negatively called me an obese sleep um after we broke up and Mm -hmm. was very harmful and also like that person also knew the work that I do so it was like it was an intentional dig um, and so I think that when we live in a society that is fat phobic, you know, calling someone fat, calling someone obese is an intentional insult, right? Although mm-hmm. fat is a descriptor of your body, just like skinny is a descriptor of your body. Um, and so I think dating can feel challenging. It can feel scary. It can feel very vulnerable to be like, I, this is the body I exist in and this is what it is. And I think one thing that has been helpful for me is just to remember that I, this body is going to change. So I am not interested in being in relationship with someone who is only interested in the way I look physically, Mm. because this iteration of my body will not probably be the iteration of my body in five years. And so, you know, I think that rejection is the universe's protection for us. And I know it's hard to deal with rejection, but ultimately we want to find the person that accepts us and values us and appreciates us in the body that we reside in. And maybe it takes longer sometimes, um, but that is for me is worth it. Yeah, absolutely. You write in the book, I will accept nothing less than absolute worship of my essence, being, and body. And I thought that was so powerful um, because, at least for me, I'll just speak for me um, as a woman who also likes men for some reason. I don't know. I'm still trying to understand it. Like, why? Like, why? why? But also understanding that people have hypersexualized my body, right? Or objectified my body. So also coming into acceptance of my body as my body for my pleasure, even though I'm not just my body, but still like coming to acceptance that I'm working with this physical form that I'm in and it is for my pleasure and my enjoyment. And I have agency over it was a big part of me, even just again, coming into my own, into my own body, right? And understanding like, hey, it's not just to be the object of someone else's desire or fantasy um, is a big piece. So to read those words, like, you know, I will accept nothing less than absolute worship of my essence being embodied, but in a way where like, I know it's, you know, me and not just the body piece, right? Not just the objectification. Yeah, absolutely. And I love like that you shared that because it's so true. Like, I think, especially for a lot of women, like we've, been taught to think of ourselves as like objects for other people's pleasure right Mm -hmm. and it's like oh no I'm not like an ornament of decoration and I'm not an object for someone else's pleasure and I'm going to focus and center on myself and what do I like and what is pleasurable for me and like how am I enjoying my body Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in that same um, section, you say, I'm only interested in romantic partners to add to my ability to love and cherish Mm -hmm. myself. And I was like, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely love. I mean, you talk about this journey of this radical self-love and and you talk about, you know, finding joy in your body and embracing your inherent worthiness is a choice, one that I have to make daily. And 
I love that you're so honest about like, it is a choice and one that sometimes you have to get up and fight for on a daily basis. And I thought that was great to hear because it is a journey, a never ending journey. It is. And I think, again, one of the, I think shortcomings of the body positivity space. I think it sometimes, especially like in the online space, it sometimes makes it feel like one day you've arrived and like you never struggle with body image again. And that's just not true. Like we, we don't, you know, it's not linear. Healing is not linear and it, it is a choice. And it is something that is a journey that we'll be on for the rest of our lives. And that we wake up every day and choose to be on that journey and to be in a positive relationship with ourselves. Yeah. I mean, Chrissy, you have given us so much in this book. Like I can't wait to read it again and really spend time with the questions and and really reflect on them because I think it's important work. Like we have to be honest with ourselves first and understand kind of even where we are in our own journey um, before we can even kind of like take additional steps and work towards collective freedom. Um, One thing that I also liked about the book is how honest you are about like that you are a work in progress, right? That you are on this journey and you say like, maybe some of the language I'm using now, I might not use that same language, you know, a year from now or or whenever, or maybe even in some of these places, I've missed an important conversation that, you know, looking back, I'll I'll wish I would have said, but I, I really thank you so much for being so open and transparent about where you are in the process and also presenting it as a process and not like a, here's five steps to reach body liberation. It was so important for me not to do that because I think there is no steps for any of us on any journey, right? All of our journeys are going to look very different. And I think that so many of us, myself included, have like looked like to other people, like, give me the answer, give me the five steps so that I can fix myself. And I'm like, no, no, we're not doing, we're not doing steps here. We're, you know, we're, we're learning about these concepts. We are being honest with ourselves about where we are. We're giving ourselves compassion. We're understanding that it's a journey um, because that because that's how I've come to this place myself. And um, I just think there is no five steps. And, and also none of us are broken, right? We are working to heal our relationship with our body, but we are all perfectly fine as we are. And there are things that we are working through and unlearning. Uh, is a lot of unlearning actually when it comes to body image. And so, um, yeah, I think that was just really important for people to really, I, my goal was for people to read it and to understand that I'm on this journey with you as well. Um, and that we're all in this together. Yes. Well, Chrissy, thank you so much for allowing us to, to go on this journey with you and to learn and unlearn alongside of you. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you this morning. Thank you for having me. This has been such a delightful conversation. I seriously so much enjoyed it. And I really appreciate you having me on. Of course. Thank you. Thank you again to Chrissy King. She is the author of The Body Liberation Project, How Understanding Racism and Diet Culture Helps Cultivate Joy and Build Collective Freedom. I know you had so much fun listening in and joining in our conversation. And trust me, you're going to have that much fun reading the book as well. I can't wait to read it again and really spend some time with the questions. Like I said, at the end of each chapter, Chrissy provides uh, reading prompts from principle to practice that help us put into practice the ideas, the principles that she talks about in each chapter. And Trust me, you'll want to spend some time with those questions. 
Well, for today's positive note, I want to leave you with something that Chrissy says in the book. And she says, the moment we unlearn something about ourselves is the moment we open ourselves up to learn who we really are. And isn't it wonderful to be able to learn who we really are outside of all of these messages from society, outside of all of these opinions about our bodies and what bodies have value and how our bodies should look and why we don't look the right way. Um, So I love this idea of unlearning in order to open ourselves up to learn who we really are. I absolutely love that. Well, this is Let's Grab Coffee here on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm here every Monday morning and you can always catch the replay of these conversations and share it with a friend. Subscribe to Let's Grab Coffee in podcast format wherever you stream podcasts. And I can't wait to be back here with you next Monday morning.